0: follow Mallory, and I just have no idea what to say. Am I supposed to preach? What's, what's going on? Well done, Mallory. That's, that's amazing. And uh, authentically love to have everyone join us after our gathering for a gift for lunch of those who have volunteered. If you are interested, I'm going to just gonna broaden the net um, without telling Carl or anyone who made this lunch, Lori, if, if you're looking forward to volunteering in 2024... we would love to have you grab your phones and open up your camera app and scan this QR code if you'd be so kind. These never work, these big announcements from stage, but the, this one might because I'm tricking you into clicking on this QR code, okay? So grab your phones, open up your, your camera app, whatever options you have. I don't know how to do that. I'm, I'm doing my best IT work here, folks. And scan this QR code. It'll open up a website where then you can click and find out where you could maybe volunteer in 2024. See, two services, two gatherings are not just, you know, magically happen. It's double the workload for everyone. And we are excited to be able to do that because we have an opportunity to reach our community even more and allow you to have options when you're going to be worshiping in 2024. And hopefully for, you know, 100 years going forward, that we have this opportunity to give options for our worship. So I know you've gotten most, I'm watching, the, I'm watching, watching, most people have done this. I see Kevin Grab hasn't. How dare you, Kevin? But there's several of you who have. I'm just gonna say names randomly. I can't really see anything with these lights up, okay? Most people have it now. Okay, Carissa, good job. I see the phone up, okay? Sam, great job. Yep, okay, good, 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 I can see. I can see certain people, actually. There's just these hot spots of light. Here's the cool thing. There's another QR code, folks. Just, I know, I know, I know. The next QR code that's on the screen. Ready, set, go. Is that the new one? Okay. I memorized these so I can make sure I get them right. This QR code is actually for the sermon series that you'll come to in 2024. It's called Why, and there's also pamphlets out at the front if you'd rather write in a question. We've had only one so far in one week, and this is how it usually goes. People little sheepish. Do I wanna ask a question that Pastor Mike has to preach on? Uh, The one we we received was, um, what about pyramids? What about pyramids? What's up with those? That's a great sermon, but we'd love to have some other options as well. Think about, um, does God have feelings Were Jesus' teeth crooked? Is eating bacon sinful? Whoa, there's a combative (laughs) nose there. Why Jesus and not other religions? It doesn't have to start with why, but the why series allows some dialogue between the congregation of things you may have struggled with scripturally, theologically, or just in general, like the pyramids. And we'd love for you to chat in, to write in those different questions, you can make an anonymous, very fun name if you're worried that we might be you know, crossing some sort of line uh, that you may not know and you may feel sheepish. We'd love for you to send those in. Now, there's two quick caveats. Number one, we're looking to do a sermon series on the apocalypse in 2024. So if you do an apocalyptic question, it's just gonna get bumped? Because Pastor Mike is gonna tell you when Jesus is coming back. <laughs> he knows, okay? <laughs> Secondly, questions about sex and sexuality. woo get a little steamy in here. Those also are gonna have a separate series in 2024. And I just wanna say, thank you, church. I sent out a letter several weeks ago. Thank you for being a centered set church where Jesus is what we center around and the identity in Christ is the most important thing in our walk with him. Sexuality and sex is important, but it's not the only thing that we are revolving around. Amen? And with that, we will get into sex and sexuality into 2024 and love for you to come as we go through those. Really fun, really fun topics. Uh, Apocalypse and sex, you can't get better than that. (laughs) Some are like, that's the same sermon series, okay. (laughs) In all seriousness, thank you for all your support. Um, Church, we've had a lot of asks for you in this past season, whether it be for Serve Tallahassee, whether it be for our month of service where we've been helping out numerous nonprofits in Tallahassee. Uh, Just personally, thanks for your support in sending me to Uganda uh, last week. And for all the help with Guatemala, and also, also last week, uh, helping out Second Story Goods through Haiti, you have been phenomenal. And I just want to say, well done, church. Very proud of the congregation reaching out and, and even getting the school supplies over uh, at the serve table. We are just rocking and rolling. And you should all give yourself a quick pat on the back and get that free lunch after the service today. Let's jump into the message now and talk through man-made designations and then God-made designations, limitations, if you will. For example, if I say speeding, a lot of you think of this image that's on the screen right now, right? And all of you have your heart pitter-patter just a little bit. There's nothing worse than you're driving down the road and lights flash behind you and you say, what was I doing? And some of you go, yeah, I know what I was doing. <laughs> I, had, I had that pedal down a little bit higher and I see that the, the spouse is elbowing the other spouses in the room, okay? I get a good scan right now of who is the lead foot in the marriages around us, okay? Because there's some of us who I see are elbowing But I'm really actually talking about man-made designations that, that, that we tend to put on things, like speed limits. See, in Uganda, there's this beautiful moment where I was walking into a store, and beautifully enough, there are no lines in Uganda. The first one to the front is the line. And then it's just kind of chaos behind that. It's really difficult in our Western minds to think that my view of reality is what should be. And so we make these lines, we make these definitions like speed limits, but God sets things in place that are actual limitations to who we are. For example, who's the fastest person on the planet? Hussein Bolt. Hussein Bolt. Bolt. There he is right there, okay? Now, I wanted to do this so long, so I'm going to do it real quick. See? Now I feel good. Bucket list crossed off. Hussein Bolt. The guy traveled 27 miles per hour. 27 miles per hour. All the middle school boys in the back look. like, oh, I can do that. No, you can't. <laughs> no, you can't, boys. You can't go 27. We'll do it after the service. We'll get a, get a clocker out there. But then we have actually gone past our God-given limitations, right? Because we go in cars and go 65 and some of us 75 and 85 miles per hour. But think about Apollo 10 for a minute. Apollo 10 went 24,791 miles per hour but there are limits to how fast that humanity can go that are not set by humanity, they're set by the cosmos. For example, and this is going to ruin most of our Trekkie fans out there, the speed of light, for us to travel the speed of light is impossible with the technology and the the knowledge of speed of light because to get the energy to go the speed of light we require an infinite amount of energy to get us to go the speed of light. I'm sorry I'm ruining all things for you. Another one, temperature. We know what Fahrenheit temperature is, but you know, in Uganda, there's this thing called Celsius and it actually makes more sense than Fahrenheit, right? Randomly, what's the temperature where it freezes? Yeah, no one knows that. That's just a, a weird number that we just kind of came up with. But in Celsius, it is yeah, super simple, okay? What temperatures does water boil at? You should have known that, I did No one knows that. Those who did, you should like be on Jeopardy. Elementary school teacher, oh, elementary school teacher even better. <laughs> this idea of having a, a a number that corresponds to a certain event in nature is only for us. Trees don't care when it's forty or thirty-two; they just respond to the temperature. They don't care about the numbers, but to use those designations in our minds are helpful for us to bring order to what we assume is chaos even when the natural world that God has created isn't chaos. Let's talk about time. How many months are in a year? Hours in a day. I love this. In Uganda, they have these, in every service, they have these drums that would start playing. And the people in the the, the villages knew by the drum beat if it was a funeral or a wedding. And when the drums start playing you know that it's time to leave what you're doing and head to wherever you're supposed to go. They don't care about our man-made time. And still, to this day, when I was there, even though everyone had a phone, no one started on time and it was beautiful. You all would fit in so well as you come in late to church. But God creates time and God somehow stands outside of time. And except for black holes, which no one knows how those work, we understand that all of our time constraints that we put into our world are all just made up. Even Christmas. Even Christmas. See, due to the shepherd's story when we hear that the pastor Mike preached on last week, it is more likely that Christmas actually came in the fall, don't hate me. Came in the fall in September versus in December. See, the December holiday for merrily missionaries was convenient to replace pagan worship with the birth of Christ. They took a pagan holiday and said, hey, guess what? Today's Jesus's birthday. Woo! And it stuck. And it was successful. And I'm sorry to ruin this for you, but just wait. I'm going to ruin many things during this message. See, it's not just that this day is so hard. It's all the baggage that comes with it. See, Christmas is supposed to have perfection, joy, peace, love, happiness, surprise. woo And they're sometimes manufactured emotions, amen? See, Christmas doesn't always mean happiness, joy, and gifts this time of year. For many, it is a mixture of emotions. And for some, who may not be here, unfortunately, it is downright anger and disgust directed at this event that we create as humans. Countless losses, disappointments, and many unrealistic expectations See, this week's Christmas fest focuses in large part on how the season is not just warm hugs, warm cookies, and warm memories. As we turn our attention to three kings, or better yet, an unknown number of magi that show up in Matthew's gospel, there's going to be certainly some elements of celebration, but we also have to pause and recognize the chaos and hurt that this particular passage of Christmas envelopes inside of it. So let's get into Matthew chapter two. Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus is very different than Luke. Mark doesn't even have anything. And John is very uh, wishy-washy, feely love. But in this passage here, we see a very unique story that is told from Matthew's perspective that is important for us today who struggle with both the happiness of Christmas and also maybe times of sorrow at the same time. With that, chapter two, verse one. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, During the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. First, let's identify these Magi. In contrast to the old hymn, We Three Kings, we know that one, right? We three kings of Orient are. So you don't know that, boiling water. Fine, you show offs. Matthew uses the term Magi. Which also could be translated into st- sorcerers or stargazers. We don't like sorcerers, that seems weird. So we're just gonna say stargazers. The tradition is that they go back to 225 AD. See, in Psalm 68, 72, and Isaiah 49 and 60, which we're not gonna get into, the Old Testament states that kings would come and worship the Messiah at his birth. So therefore, the idea of we three kings has been kind of placed upon these magi. Likely they weren't kings. Again, sorry to disappoint. But secondly, There is not a number of wise men. In every single nativity, how many wise men are there? I'm here to ruin your nativity sets, friends. Three people thinking this type of journey was probably unlikely, but possible. And the idea that they have three is because they bring three gifts, gold, frankincense, and? You guys are good this morning, man. There have been many, there could have been many magi, even 10, 20, 30, or 40, or 100, but we understand there's at least more than one because the text has a plural amount of magi. So don't throw away the three, just maybe think 10 times more than that. They come to Herod as would have been the correct response. They go to the ruler of this society, who Herod being that, we'll get into him in a moment, and possibly being experts of the law to find out that some star or some constellation has formed more on that in a moment. So they go to him as a person of power. What's interesting is Herod is surprised but he doesn't discount that something has happened. With that in mind, you see that this Christmas story shows that even the worst guy in the story says something happened, means that something happened. Verse three, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the magi secretly, and found out where the time the start had, happened, had appeared. Excuse me. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, "Go search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him." Get that movie sound effect? Dun dun dun! Because we know the story. Most of us know the story. The star, let's talk about the star for a moment. The star is dependent upon time. These magi are coming from the east and they did not have teleportation then just like we don't today, sad face. The idea that it would take months, days, and even years to travel is quite possible. So the star may have appeared before Jesus' birth for the magi to then get up and start walking toward Jerusalem. Or maybe they knew that something was going to happen because they're star astronomers, so they prepare to go for this moment to happen. That's kind of asking a lot for men to pray on that far ahead, right, women? Yeah. So let's just say one of these series occurred. But the other thing we have to understand is that Jesus wasn't born on the year zero. This is important in a minute. Zero is actually a time of designation that the Romans throw out there. Augustus, thank you. And we understand that BC means what? No, it doesn't. Yes, before. It's all Latin. It's all Latin. I'm here, I'm here to ruin everything for you, including time. First, I did the Magi and then Tivity sets. Now I'm ruining time. BC means before the era of Augustus and AD means in the year of our Lord, Anno Domine, which actually starts on year zero. So I'm ruining this. Jesus wasn't born on zero. I'm sorry, friends. Kepler stated in seven BC that Jupiter, Saturn and the Hebrew constellation Pisces that are, that are, connected together, they conjoined. But we also know that Herod dies in 4 BC. So if Herod is the main character in this passage, it has to come before 4 BC. Kepler also said that could have been a supernova that occurred, but a supernova, I mean, we look at the stars occasionally when we're outside, right? But back in their time, they didn't have anything on TV. I know. And so they're always looking at the stars, always seeing, and a supernova would have had the entire world upended so that's probably not likely we know that Cayley's comet came by close in 12 BC and there's a planetary massing in 2 BC but my greatest theory about the star you just hold on to yourselves it is what it was because everyone acknowledged that something occurred in that sky and it was a sign of Jesus's forthcoming let's talk about Herod next Herod became king of the Jews as a Roman consul. Octavian and Mark Anthony gave him power to take back Israel from the outsiders. The last few years of Herod's 33-year reign were full of suspicion. He executed at least two of his own sons and he actually killed his own wife, Miriam. Someone who would have ravaged his own house would have no scruples about killing a few Israelite children in Bethlehem. But throughout the gospels, Herod's sons and grandsons in relation are brought up over and over and over. And they're that key family of villains so to speak to the readers of the first century bibles and we see that herod and this star coming together at the same time with jesus's birth show these opposite powers at play in the in in the infant story we pick back up then at verse 16 when herod realized that he had been outwitted by the magi he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the magi then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was filled. A voice sent heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This passage in Jeremiah is unlike any other in Matthew as it's both a prophecy, but it only fits with something like this. This prophecy doesn't work well with almost any other event in both New Testament or scripture then, or time thenceforth. Bethlehem, we know, is only about five miles from Jerusalem. And the Magi set out in the evening to leave after presenting them with their gifts. But we don't know if Jesus was the brand new infant or up to two years old, because that was what the order said. Herod's patience was minimal. That two-year-old age limit was to prevent Jesus' escape. And at the time, he was between likely six and 20 months old. Herod, aiming to eliminate a potential king, restricted the massacre to boys. Furious at being deceived, he raged against the Lord and his anointed one. There likely would have only been a couple of dozen boys in Bethlehem, maybe. And due to the brutality of the Romans and the culture of this time, likely the culture wouldn't have even, this event wouldn't have even made the evening news if they had it. But it's the Magi's role that is confusing. Here they bring gifts of extreme value. The challenge for Christmas is that they also led Herod to Jesus' birthplace even accidentally. Does God not care about these families? The joy of the moment is squelched by the evils of the day, it seems, in Matthew's account. Obviously, we know that Herod has a choice in the matter, but he chooses paranoia and infanticide versus coming and actually worshiping the king of all kings and the eternal lord of all lords. See, the temptation here is to westernize this story away with platitudes well, it all worked out in the end, and Jesus won, so the boys really must be enjoying heaven. Yeah, I feel disgusting saying it too. Well, this probably is the way in which Matthew weaves together the story. Not, it's not really real. Then why would he even say it? The gold, the frankincense, they're so valuable for Jesus' family. I mean, the Mary and Martha, they would have, they, I mean, Martha and, and, and Mary and, and Joseph, they're there, that's a word. Again, this, this Rome and I can't get out of it. God needed to protect them and, and they had to have this money. So he brought the Magic from the West with gifts and sorry about kids. Now that I've ruined the time of Christmas, likely in September, I've ruined nativity sets in general. Let's go for one more ruining as I end the sermon today. See, many of us say these trite things and trivial things to people who are hurting specifically in Christmas time. Shame on us. Christmas may or may not be the most wonderful time of the year. But we as Christians must allow for grief and oftentimes senseless grief for those who are hurting, who are grieving, who are lost. Don't explain it away. Don't try to defend God who needs no defense. Realize that oftentimes we may inadvertently lead people to hurt. Friends, Own and acknowledge that just as those magi would have done. Don't try to explain away whatever it is, and don't use commercialism and presents to cover up hurts and losses. While I'm not against Christmas presents, oftentimes Christmas gets confused with materialism and buying things to make up for those hard things that are going on in our lives. There's no adequate explanation to why there is suffering. It's one that theologians will grapple with, will wrestle with, but more importantly, we will wrestle with why there are hard things in our lives. But that paradox of having joy on a Sunday and hardness have to have room in our Western minds to wrestle with and to try to understand both as Christians but as me individually as I work through my salvation through Christ. See, the best thing as Christians that we can do this Christmas, is to come as we are to another soul as they are, with all our flaws, all our hurts, all our gifts, and all our joys. For some, that means being more hospitable, more gracious, more loving. For others, it means bringing the rawness of where I am and how I am in a moment. I've heard that from all sorts of you in the past two years. And it's a uniting item of our church We can all be authentically us in the moment where we are. Sorry, that gets me just a little bit teared up there. Grief, shame, and hurt are uncomfortable but essentially human emotions. Instead of whisking away uncomfortable thoughts or emotions, walk with a hurting person and ask what they want. Don't fix it. Don't pray it away. And do not massage Jesus' birth to undo the hardness that life often brings, especially to non-Christians. Use authentic joy to remind that in a paradox that life sometimes sucks, but our hope, peace, and even joy is found in Jesus Christ. Not in presence, not in relationships that we put pressure on, not in some sort of austere moments of tranquility sitting by a fire. No. 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 You are joy that is your identity wrapped up by Messiah who redeems, restores, and renames you. Whoever and wherever you are, with your grief, with your hurt, with your pain, friends, he loves you. You are joy that the God of the universe submitted himself to time, to a body, to the fragility of life that he created. When you feel lifeless, burdened, and tempted, remember that Jesus did too. You are joy. In the hardness of life, you are restored by the love of Christ and not by doing and achievements or anything else. The Friends, you are God's because God wants you. Your best is not enough to earn anything in eternity. But you being you, however God has you right now, is enough to have God revel in you. So our worship team comes out. Remember that no matter the worldly labels, no matter the circumstance, you are joy because you are Christ's and nothing else. Be reminded that even when you hurt, Jesus has found joy in knowing and being with you. In a moment, we're gonna respond in this paradoxical type of faith that we have both suffering and joy at the same time. And these songs are meant to be a response that God, in this Christmas season, please have all of me, and not just the hallmark ish prepackaged Christianity that seems safe and authentic. No, take it all. See, responding in song to these paradoxical truths, let us be reminded of Christ's great and abounding gift for us this Christmas in Jesus Christ. Those magi. We're seeking much more than an experience or a getaway because of some star or some sort of supernova. Those magi are searching for a meaning to life that we have found and can revel in knowing the rest of the story. But that means bringing all that I am to this magnificent, wonderful, and beautiful Savior. So with that, let's stand and respond with these worship songs.